Come on then, let's right, go. Right. Are you doing the intro? I'm going to do it right now. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hang On To Your Hat, episode 34. And today in the studio, we have... Warwick Field. Bad Daddy, you're a naughty boy. These days, fatherhood is everywhere. You can't get away from it. Not that blokes haven't tried. If you're not a father, you've got a father. You're a son of a dad or a daughter of a bloke. But either way, being a dad is no picnic. The fear, the anger, the confusion and, well, the love, of course. (laughs) Derek Myers and Dan Lee, together with their special guests, are here to share the highs and lows, the joys and the agony of being a modern dad. But most of all, to let you know that you're not alone. (laughs) Hello! And welcome to another ep- I don't know. I don't know about this camera because it's just making, ignore it. Was making me have a different voice. <laughs> Hello, and and that's that's Look freaking me out. Well, Forget the camera. We've it's got Warwick here. Warwick Field. Why does it? Why does it make you have a different face? Just because there's a camera. I don't know. I don't know. Just or about a different voice. Do you know what I think it is? Hmm. Uh, the the desire to hide my true self. Uh, it's a Peter Sellers type thing. Because I'm as clever as him. But it, no, I, I think it just makes me want to. Because the visual aspect take of it is on. something that makes it harder to hide than just a yeah, pure voice. Exactly. Because a pure voice, you can be saying anything, but pulling a funny face and nobody's ever right. going to know. Exactly. Which is really hard to do, probably, I'd imagine. I mean, and the, and the so promise much. of an edit. The promise of an edit with mm. podcasting, you're completely free. There's no continuity issues. And you read so much from the, what's going on in people's faces, not just what they say. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you forget that camera. Ladies and gentlemen of the audio world, we are, yes, I, I'm recording the video of this, hence Danny's unusual start. Sorry, sorry, so, yes, sorry about so my, my confused beginning. Warwick Field, uh, dog walker extraordinaire. Yes. Friend of mine, friend of Missy's. Yes. Cinematographer, father. All those things. All those things. Um, Not necessarily in any of those orders, of course. <laughs> no, that's right. So, uh, yeah. We've had a few f- uh, fathers of adults by, yes. by age, yes. defined by age, mm. adults, in before. But commonly they're either Dan's dad or Missy's dad. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's, it's, it's really good because you think, oh, well, that oh, I've got a... What, so I'm like 11. a first generation version of a... You're uh, right there. Father of adult children. Yeah. Yeah, hey, like, hey, right. Well, go on then. Well, let's get this, the, 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 the statistics. The, what the, have you got? Right. So, so I, have, uh, I have two sons. Yep. Um, Chris, who's 32 years old now. Wow. And I know. And wow. you do the mathematics and you say, well, How if he's 32... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel 20 years younger than I am. That's older than my mental age. Ah, yeah. and mine, and mine. And um, uh, a second son, Dylan, who's 19 years old. And yes. uh, they are both wonderful kids from wonderful mothers, both of whom I'm no longer with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one child per wife was basically my uh, modus operandi. Fair enough. I, yes. th- I thought that was probably... To be fair to my wives, all they could handle of me, <laughs> and probably my sons would probably say the same thing as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Best not to carry this on too far. No. Yeah. Keep good, it under good environmental thing. The so so time frame wise, you were married, had a kid, split up, so separate. Yes. Co-parenting. I don't know what you call it anymore. Um, well, co-parenting. Yes. By the so by the time number one, was Chris was. 
13? 13 years old, yeah. You'd, you'd, Good maths. You had another. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> Did it earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and then nearly forgot. That's right. With his abacus. <laughs> yeah. I went in too soon. Yeah. yeah. So, so then you you met another partner and. Uh, That's right, yeah. In the normal everyday way and had another one. Yeah, well, um, when I, I got married, I was warned not to be married as early as I did. I was about 22 when I got married the first time and. and I'd, you know, I'd been dating this this woman for quite a long time. We got on like a house on fire, but I had, was a long way short. You know, retrospectively now I know I was a long way short of actually understanding who I was. And in fairness to both of us, we probably should not have got married. She was she was also uh, six years older than than I was at the time. Um, so it was probably four years into the marriage before Chris was born, and by that stage it was always that, already that classic mistake of. Our relationship's not going great. Right. I'm sure a child would fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but you've got to keep and all those out listening out there to, <laughs> to all of you listening. Was that a good idea? <laughs> nope. Yeah. And um, so uh, it, it it wasn't a good idea. I mean, obviously, you know, we love Chris and it's fantastic, and 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 thank goodness he came along. But it wasn't enough at that point to save the relationship. We, we'd just gone in very different directions. Yeah. I work as a cinematographer, so I work in the film industry, which is a terrible industry to be involved in yeah. and have a relationship. And especially at that time of my earlier years, I was travelling a lot, so I wasn't around. And mm. you know, there's there's just so many things going on in the world that by the time I was 25, I already f- felt like, how can I have already defined what the rest of my entire life is going to be mm. when I really haven't had a you know much of a sample of everything there is to have in the world? So within a year of crisping. Born, we were we were separated. So uh, basically, my entire life with Chris has been as a an absent father. Right. Um, as much as I tried to to be there, he lived with his with his mum, which um, back then, you know, sort of uh, in the nineteen nineties was was pretty well standard. Mm. The um, the sharing arrangement, which I think has become more common now, where you do sort of fifty fifty, might have a week on a week off. Yeah. That was just not really a concept. It was still very much you know the child stays with the mother. Yeah, um, I remember that actually. I feel like that has changed. Yeah, yeah, and um, and and his mum was terrific at, at raising him and looking after him and, and and taking care of all of his needs. But it just meant that I would only see him, you know, on for a week, you know, a weekend once a fortnight or so. So right. immediately I was down to you know one seventh of the time I would would have spent with him, and and it's it's a real shame because I never really got to to know him the way I would have if I, if I'd been yeah. a father living at home, but. You know these things. These things happen, and and it, it would never have worked for us to have stayed together. It would have just been a, a terrible environment. Yeah, could have been very damaging. So. Yeah, the, mm. the, the and with the film, with your career, um, even if it, if well, even if it's not a career, if you're just working in film, mm. surely you, you, to do that one week on, one week off would be near on impossible. Because the, all my friends in the you know early noughties, late nineties, who were working in films around Melbourne. Mm. When Hollywood came, uh, it was nuts. Like they couldn't really commit to anything. Yeah. They didn't know. Like there was periods, long periods of time when they had to work all the time, and then they always had that fear of there being periods of time when they had nothing to do. That's right, and and that I mean you're absolutely right, and that added a lot to the complication of everything mm-hmm. because yeah. not only was it the expectation that you know on the on that particular Friday night I'd pick up Chris and he'd stay with me the Sunday, but there was always the on the Tuesday before that, the phone would ring and it'd be like, okay, we're doing this shoot and going to go over the weekend. And so then I'd be ringing up my ex-wife and saying, guess what? You know, I'm not, and, and 
you know, that made me feel terrible because Chris was looking forward to seeing me. And, and so, but my whole life has been like that in terms of trying to manage life as a freelance filmmaker. Yeah. You never know when the work's going to come. It's often infrequent enough that you really can't say no when it does come. But it, I mean, you, you just can't, it, it's very difficult to ever arrange anything, even a restaurant or booking, you, you know, I, I've got, I've got tickets booked for next year to, um, to theatre shows and I just, I've just decided now I'm just going to just randomly choose dates because even if I try a week out to <laughs> yeah. choose a date where yeah. I'm going to be available, there's a 50% chance that something will happen. If it happens, I'll just have to cancel. So raising the kids was, this, was a very similar thing. And school holidays, try and find two weeks in a row. Oh, yeah. So then suddenly the, you know, the, the kid would be coming over and, and you'd have them around but then on the Wednesday, Thursday, you had to go and shoot an ad which is not from 9 till 5. It's you're on set at 7 uh, a.m. yeah. You're still set at 7 p.m. The director's going, actually, maybe we should do another scene. And then you're thinking, child's at home, the, the babysitter's there, and now I'm going to be home at 10 o'clock. The guilt was mm. just incredible, That's overwhelming. And, and yeah. I, I think probably the, the key word for my whole experience of, of raising those two boys was just constantly feeling like I was just feeling guilty and inadequate in terms of being there for them. Yeah. Um, but, that you know. that that thing with the film industry too, because I've worked on a on a TV show for six months in the art department and stuff, and and what was really obvious to me was that they want yes people, mm. and I remember them saying that I remember the director saying that there's no don't say no to anything, it doesn't matter what it is, you say yes first, and then you figure the rest out, and then there might be a yeah, just no, there's no such thing as no. And like, if you're in the beginnings of your career too, in your twenties, there'd be even more pressure to to be a yes man and go with. Because it seems like a lot of people get hired from one job to the next. Like, like they get to know you. There if is you're that, a very yeah. if you're good at what you do and you're easy to work with, then they'll go to the you get the next one. A lot of people I know in film and TV go through a, a, at least, especially an early period where they're just getting hammered and, and they've got to build up that kind of reputation of yeah and, and, hard. and, and you'll have a loyalty to a producer too so right. if, you, if you're working in on a TV series for example mm. um, you might do you know wetworth or, or mm. packed to the rafters or something and then when that finishes the whole crew all go now we're all going but you know two weeks out of the end of the shoot everybody's talking about the next job and you're already kind right. of you've mentally left the one you're on. And you're all going to move as this big team of, of lighting guys and grips and camera team and, and everybody else make up and wardrobe and just go along to the next one. And as you right. say, you can step off, but when you get off that train, right, you're at the platform and the train's gone. Yeah. And um, so there, find there, another there's, in then. There's a huge pressure. And, and you know, if, if you want to stay in the game, you, you do have to always be available and you do have to always say yes. Yeah. And you actually can't even change that to a no most of the time and get away <laughs> with it. So it, it's, I mean, it is such a cliche, you know, like all, all those, all the sitcoms you see about the film and TV industry are largely not exaggerated at all. I mean, they are as ludicrous and the conditions and what you do and what you sacrifice to make some stupid show that nobody's going to watch Yeah, is, is just nuts. You know, you were sitting there at 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday when everybody else is doing something else and your kids are at home being babysat Yeah, because you're working on some show that's going to change the world because the director suddenly wanted to reshoot, you know, scene 17. I, I was just thinking about the, the uh, one particular story on that. We, we were this kid's show in Broome when I was living up in Broome and the uh, the director said to – there was two of us in the fucking art department. It was it – was, we were just so overworked. It was unbelievable. Mm. And he says to me, we need a worm. Yeah. So we're out on the desert <laughs> on Roebuck Plains. We need a worm. 
I'm like, how deep do you have to dig to get a worm in the Well, desert? you ain't getting a fucking worm, <laughs> basically. And I said, but there, there's no, there's no worm. No, 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 no. You're not, you're not understanding what I'm saying. I'm saying we need a worm. And I said, no, I know, I know that. Yes. But, but what I'm saying to you is that they don't, they're not indigenous to the desert. <laughs> and, and he's going, hang on a minute. So, what we need is a worm. And so we had to go and get, I had to go and get. So basically, rather than saying go and get a tin of, no, of spaghetti, and, yeah, and, so and, whatever, and put a fishing line on it. So if you look at it like that, you go, well, so how do we fake it? So we went, you know, we went and found a variety of grubs and caterpillars, and mm. they're like, well, can you paint it red? <laughs> like it's just all that weird shit. So it's not exactly that, but it's mad. Like that's uh, yeah, and you've got to get used did to you, that. Kind did you of- resort to the thing of saying? But I've just been through the script and it doesn't mention worm in the script. Yeah, right. So that's what art department, art department, yes. the, the first thing art department always goes, well, it's not in the script, which is fair enough because I had no warning. Throw it straight back. If you'd, exactly. It's your if fault, you, mister. You, you've read yeah. episode 13 and it says the kid's lying on the beach. Does it say he's playing with a worm? No. Therefore, I've provided no worm. Exactly. And then what they used to do too is they'd go, this scene's transpiring, but it, it's it's just on the on the beach, right? And then they've somewhere along the line they've changed it to it needs to happen in a dilapidated camp made from uh, driftwood and parts of ocean-wrecked boats. So they were basically just riffing the show as they going along with it. And I go, you what? Where's that in the thing? And he goes, listen, we've got 10 minutes, to, so I'd have to make a set in 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, now, some of that was fun and exciting until it wasn't. Yeah. When, you know... Uh, but anyway, that, so I get that. that That's just a management the whole, style, though, just to go it's very full old pressure. School. It's like understaffing nurses. Yeah. There's, people are still getting their medicine, and there's, but the nurses are running ragged until they, you know, eventually in 20 years' time there's less people who want to be nurses maybe yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, But it's, it's like throw the pressure on. That's how yeah. they do it. Everyone and I bet just runs it, runs itself ragged. Yeah, and they just it's 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 like sort of evolution. They the, the <laughs> people who can't cope just drop out. That's but right. Do you now see? I'm sure you do. But like after I was on that show for a while, after that, every time I watched television, I could sort of see all the people who were just outside of the frame because I know now that you yeah. have a serene shot of a beach, but. The reality is yeah. there's about 35 people all kind of just out of shot. Don't spoil it for me, Dan. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, really? So you can't so you can't watch it with the same it's kind a, of it's a, it's, a, it's a classic analogy of the duck on the pond where you just see the oh, duck yeah. going along and underneath it's chaos. And, and that does happen, of course. Yeah, Like it'll be one person walking down a pristine beach with no footprints ahead of them mm. and just out of shot. Seven lighting guys racing along with <laughs> yeah, the reflectors and, yeah. and the, the boom up holding the microphone on a, on a 60 foot boom pole fighting the wind, just keeping it just out of the top of frame. And of course, I mean, that's the magic. And that's, that's yeah. look, this is all I've ever done in, yeah. in my career is worked in, in film and TV. And I love it with a passion. And cinematography is something yeah. I'm just so devoted to and love it. And it doesn't matter. The, the novelty just, it just doesn't wear up because it's like being a magician. Yeah, and, and you, and it's all about illusion, tricking people into thinking they're seeing things they're not, or making things look like things that they're not. I mean, I don't know how many times I've, we've been in a house and we've and and we've had to do turn a bedroom into a nightclub for just one quick mid shot of somebody, right? You know, dancing at a nightclub. They don't want to go to another whole nightclub, and yeah. so you go, okay, well, what am I going to do to make this look like a nightclub? And then you think about what the elements of that are, and then you right. then you, you add all those things together, and um. And then and then you watch and you go, 
holy shit, it wow. really looks like yeah. we're in a nightclub. All we did was put a bit of sequin curtain in the background, a little spotlight, a bit of coloured backlight on her, mm. and some flashing lights, and there you are. Well, because you know, it was a, it was a limited shot, right? Too, yeah. you're not panning around the whole. What, what's, the that's how it's supposed to start, and yeah. then suddenly it goes into. Actually, can we actually have the friend come into shots? Like, well, now I've got to go a bit wider, which means right. I'm seeing the bookcase, which really shouldn't. I mean, that, have you? What, what do you reckon challenge. is the most the most sort of extraordinary thing you've had to try and create? Like, what's your worm story? Oh, or is that hard? To... <laughs> that, that, that's hard. Well, you know, with career spanning the length that one has, it's kind of hard to think of a particular yeah, yeah. solution like that. But it generally, probably the the thing that constantly comes is. Um, dealing with weather issues that aren't really what they are. Like right. it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be forty degrees and you're lying on a beach and you're actually in Brighton in Victoria in the middle of winter and it's four degrees and everybody's in bathrobes freezing to death and you pull them off at the last minute and trying to make trying to make you know hot scenes look cool and, and yeah, vice versa. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, generally, they're the things you, that you deal with day to day and also just within within the course of a day making a scene look coherent in terms of the continuity of. Of the look as well, you know, yeah, you yeah. cloud and sun and all that sort of thing. So, so you and because you you did that to Missy once, you, you, Warwick and and Tash um, Pincus do the a lot of her film clips. You've yes. done quite a few, haven't you? Yeah. So, um, everyone's waiting. She she talks about to Byron being, Bay being put in the water in the middle of winter. That's right, fully clothed. Well, all day. Come on, look. In fairness, we originally <laughs> we, we were going to we were originally going to shoot that down like in Torquay or somewhere. Oh, shit. And, and it was, I can't remember, I guess it was winter, July or August or something like that. And, and um, there's only so much, so much wetsuit, we could cut out wetsuit we could put down underneath underneath her costume. Yeah. And uh, Tash and I actually went down to Torquay just with a little GoPro camera to do some tests to see, you know, what, you know, what happens when the camera comes out of the water, just to get a basic idea of it. Yeah. And we we're in there for 10 minutes. I said, there's no way we're going to be able to put Missy in this water, even, you know, because by the time you get you get in, she has to do the performance and get out, and so we decided that a, a large portion of the budget was going to go to actually travel expenses. We decided we had to go to Byron Bay, where the right. water at least was. Oh, was it in Byron? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's she complaining oh, about? God. It was still the fucking pop stars are always oh, holiday to Byron Bay. <laughs> it was yeah. Standing <laughs> stand in a pond and it, seeing. It couldn't, oh, it couldn't, it, Sorry, it could, it could have been. It could have been worse. But um, no, I, I still I still remember we were all sort of. We, we, it was like 5 a.m. in the morning we got oh, yeah. up because I wanted to get the sun. It's a long up. time to be in the water. <laughs> well, I wish it wasn't the whole time, but no. we, I wanted to get a shot with the sun coming up. And, it, it, you know, in, in um, well, I was going to say Queensland, but in northern New South Wales, the sun comes up pretty early. So it was like 5 in the morning or something, the sun was going to be coming over the horizon. So we're all up at 4 o'clock and Missy's getting the makeup on and whatever, and we're going to be walking out into the into the sea. And it's all well and good with me. I'm just holding a camera. I've got full, you know, wetsuit because I don't have to worry about anything. And she's got like a little shorty wetsuit underneath the jumper. Yeah. And we're walking out and I can just see her like shivering. And I'm saying, I'm saying, okay, so just in your mind, it's like really, really warm. It's really, really hot. <laughs> and she turns around and she, turns around and she goes, just fucking shut up, Warwick. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was like psyching herself in and had to do the performance as well. Yeah. So anyway. That wasn't the first one you did with her, was it? I think. No, the first one we did was Unashamed Desire in the studio. Ah, yeah, big studio right. shoot. With, with Chunky Move or something. Yeah, that's right. Well, Stephanie Lake was a choreographer. Yeah. Um, and that was that was that was a real challenge for Missy, especially because she had to. Yeah. I think there were we had about roughly about a week of dance rehearsal for her to yeah. lose to learn quite a complicated um, choreography for that for that clip, and that was all shot in studio over over a couple of days. That was the second time I bumped into her before we got to like I was doing a reading of my play mm. 
in the Beckett Theatre at Malthouse oh, at yeah. the time, and she just walked into the foyer of the right of the Malthouse, and I went, "Oh, hey," because I'd met her the year before in Broome. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I still remember that, and she was doing those dance rehearsals for, with. That's yeah, right. In in there, with yeah, chunky move. That's mm. right. Yeah. That's, so there you go. Mm. So yeah, but but back to the kids. So that's made yeah. So that would have made it inc- so much more difficult. Yes. To um, how, how did you, how did you? Did that well? You're still in that business, so it would have been hard continuingly. So, did what did you do? Like, in, in terms of seeing the, the yeah, boys, yeah. oh look, it was, just, it was just a matter of just of just finding as much time as I, as I possibly can to do it. Yeah. yeah, and and I think they've they've both grown up grown up being used to the fact that um, you know sometimes I'll, I'll be sitting around on my ass for three weeks with absolutely no work, and right. I can we can go on road trips and do all sorts of things, and then there'll be other times when. You know, I walk in the door at ten o'clock at night, and I'm gone at five in the morning, and and that's you know, that's the quality time. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it's funny how w- when you try and recollect what it was actually like. I mean, because obviously they're grown now, so I don't you know need to hold their hand anymore. Mm. Um, but there was a huge responsibility to as to be there as a parent, and to you know, and to have the father role, and and the, the and to you know influence them, and 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 have that that reciprocal arrangement you do have as two humans mm. you know, between parents and children. And I was so shit scared of, of losing that opportunity and because I was just dibbing in and out of their lives yeah. on a relatively infrequent occasion, it was very easy to feel like a visitor. Mm. And, and, to, and most of the time it was just quickly catching up on what's, what's happened since last – even though you might have spoken on the phone or, 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 spoke, or might have spoken to their mums and found out what was happening at school or whatever, I always felt like I was behind – Yeah. And it, it's it's you know, I'm using the word cliche a lot, but it's also that thing you hear all the time where, like you know, you'll you'll see the kid and you don't realise that you know five days last week they were they were off from school and they had a terrible cold and you think well why didn't somebody ring me and tell me that it's like oh what for you know I was just home and I was sick, and then again you think wow you know I kind of mm. there I was just going along in my life and my child was had a terrible cold and I was know. unaware of it yeah and. Um, you know, it's probably easy to sort of say, oh, well, that was my fault. Why wasn't I in contact with them every day to find these sort of things out? But you have to remember too that when you come from a, a broken marriage is that you, you, that relationship has ended because things weren't great. Right. So yeah. you've also got to deal with the fact that you're being forced to stay in contact with somebody who otherwise you wouldn't be in contact with just because things hadn't worked out. Yeah. So you've also got to deal with that with, you know, the um, your ex-wife's, obviously like disappointment in the fact that a relationship hadn't worked out and, and that you're not there and that they're doing 99% of the parenting and you just pop in like the celebrity every now and then. So you got to – first you right. spend a bit of time cutting through all that stuff. Then you get to finally spending – you know, find out with your kids. And, and then, of course, you say, so what's happened in the last couple of weeks? And it's like, oh, no, nothing really. It's like, well, yeah. something must have happened. And then <laughs> and, and then you'll have cues because, because you know, the mum had told me that, you know, i by the way, they you know won the best and fairest in the footy or something like that. So, you, and so it's hard to gain that kind of that that ground uh, that basis that you take for granted when you're with kids all the time. The thing that I missed the, the most and I still regret so much was just that everyday thing of yeah. you know breakfasts every day of the week or packing the school lunch and and sometimes because I was a freelancer, I, I was able to have the boys over and and as I got older, sometimes I had both at the same time mm. when they were both still in you know. Dylan would be in primary school and Chris would be in high school. Um, and they could come and stay 
during the school term because I wasn't working. And so I did have a, a few instances of that day-to-day thing of, you know, making yeah. the lunch and sending them off to school and then being home when they got home from school and, you know, did that make you dinner. did that did that trigger anything when when you did that? Did you go, God, I'd love to do this every day, or did you think, Well, I'm if glad I don't have to do this every day, do you, should I give you the answer that I should say, or should I give you the really <laughs> just honest tell me answer? Yeah, <laughs> both. <laughs> um, the honest answer is, um, I'm probably a bit too selfish to actually be one of those classic parents who just absolutely loves parenting and doing all the day-to-day yeah. things because I've got so many things I want to do. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably – I think most people out there would be honest enough to say themselves that they always feel like they need more me time. I've had plenty yeah. of me yeah. time, more yeah. than anybody really deserves. Um, but I do – no, I, I do like genuinely regret the fact that I didn't have a lot of time with those day-to-day things with them. And it does – you know – it creates a lot of sadness, you know. I mean, I really feel feel like I missed out. There's so much about them that I'll, I'll I will never know. Doesn't matter how what happens from here on to the end. Um, but through that whole gro- growing period of when they're you know when they're little kids and and when they're going and you know, the teenage years and all those things. Of course, I I was a yeah. you know I, I experienced those things, but I, you don't get all the nitty gritty of the you know the how many times I wake up during the night when they got the cold and things. I, that would only happen to me you know once a fortnight. We so, talked to someone about that, about the idea of quality time and stuff too, that you can't just engage quality time when you want to. In, it, it comes packaged with all this minutiae and daily stuff that's hard to quantify. Yeah. And, and Well, you need the lead up to it. You can't just walk yeah. in and say, hi, take a seat, let's have some quality time. Yeah, that's right. You, got to, you, have, to like, you have to just ease into it. And, and when you mm. only have you know, maybe two days a fortnight, which I did a lot of the time, they're just settling in by the time you're packing them up and taking them back home again. Mm. You need you, you need the you need all the sitting around doing nothing time just as much as the quality yeah. time in order to get a really strong understanding of who they are. In, in, so so did you have a, a have you had periods as a result of this where you've had to kind of come up against issues with them, like especially with having boys? If you weren't there as much as you would have liked to, did they have? Teenage years where they had a bit of a reckoning with you and a or... well, not not there's never really been a confrontation. Um, I guess this is probably something great to say about both the boys is, is that they there was never a point where they came up and said, you know, how dare you say it to me? You're not even like you're not even around. Right. Yeah. I mean, it didn't need to be said because we all knew it. You right. know, it was the elephant in the room, and so um, no, the answer is no. Mm. No, I mean obviously through the teenage years, they're teenage boys. Yeah, I, I went through all that things of of, of suddenly I knew no, nothing. Apparently, yeah. It's funny thing, your kid turns thirteen years old, and immediately you're rendered completely stupid. Don't and tell Derek that. Know nothing about oh, anything. Sorry, that my kids are both rehearsing <laughs> <laughs> regularly. They're rehearsing for for pulling the carpet it's, it's out like, from like, under him. It's like you know, where is this in our DNA or or in our in nurturing or, or whatever it is that's creating this, that, that a child gets to that age where they just suddenly, and I know there's a million people out there that have the answer to this question, but where, where does suddenly that cute little nine-year-old kid who just wanted to sit on your, on your lap? Who's awestruck by everything you tell them. Yeah, yeah. and believe everything you say yeah, yeah. up to a point. Maybe that's why they turn when they're third and they find out you've been bullshit. Bullshit the whole time. <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah. Dad, you never toured with Elton John? Oh, yeah, no, I was just, oh, I didn't really. Um, <laughs> I toured with Elton John's old touring yeah, manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but it is. And, and just suddenly you get to that point where where 
during those teenage years, it is very difficult to communicate with them, and they are just grumpy, and they just do stay in their room, and it's kind of like like somebody recovering from some horrible disease and just in a bad mood for a few years. Um, and Dylan, the, my nineteen year old, sort of he was like that probably till about seventeen, and then all of a sudden one day he just rolls up and. He was smiling again and everything. Yes, I've got I've yeah. got four years of photograph of him just scowling every time was, yeah. somebody pointed a camera at him. And it wasn't that he was unhappy. It was just those classic teenage years. And I guess, I guess some people some people don't go through don't sort of suffer that 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 sort of puberty as badly. Yeah. Um I've certainly got some friends whose kids just seem to cruise through those years and se- and from my perspective, from the outside, maybe I didn't see the, the true story, seem to be pretty pleasant the whole time. Oh, they're the, they're the ones that end up in the clock towers with the yeah. automatic <laughs> weapons. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> have puberty, puberty at age 24. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're planning something terrible. When you, say, when you say, you know, regrets and guilt, or I've been putting a bit of thought lately into mm. – the the general time frame of parenting, I guess, just going all right. We assume it's well, it the rest of their lives. Born. We're late. <laughs> we're late. Late bloomers, me yes. and Dan both. Um, and so you go right. Okay, the kid's born. That's that's that then. And you go and you tell yourself, doesn't matter because I was wild as, mm. and I did everything I ever wanted to do, and and it's it's finished now. But then I'm eleven years in, which is just like that. Mm. I'm going, fuck me. It's it's only really seven years till Boy Wonder is 18. That's right. So I'm, only, I'm only seven or eight years behind you and I'm listening yeah. to you like you've, you know, the old, it's the old time kind of experience that's done now. But, I, you know, and I, I guess you've had plenty of guests on who have spoken about this in the past, but there's there's nothing that can really prepare you for parenthood. With the first That first child, when you have all these ideas about – Oh, the child will be born, and I know for the first few months we'll have some sleepless nights. But you know, we've got a great relationship; we'll get through it. But I tell you what, those light those nights can be dark and lonely. And again, I know I, I haven't been there the, when the, both the boys were young. I was there the whole time. But um, you know, after after, so I've experienced the first couple of years as a full time parent. Yep. So this I can speak well, with that's, authority. That's something. That's this this I can describe with that. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So, so I went through the sleepless years. Mm. Um, but you can't really be prepared because you have you do have this sort of concept of things you've read about or seen on TV, the way it's always depicted and yeah. and listen to podcasts and so forth, I guess, as well, where you have this idea about, about I know it's going to be rough, but I'll pull the band-aid off and then it'll be done and then they'll be three. And then before you know it, they're in kindergarten, I'll be able to go back to playing golf and stuff. No, because it's constantly – you need to adapt as a – I mean, you're a person – you're a person with your own struggles to begin with, yeah. you know, understanding yourself and your, and your work life and your, and your um, relationship life and all that sort of thing that you've got to deal with as a human being anyway. But then you transpose that over raising a child for which you didn't actually do a course on. You didn't go to union <laughs> do, you know, 101 in child raising. You're just somehow supposed to know this innately. So you so you try to raise a child, deal with the difficulty that might be going on in a relationship because you're both at your wit's end. And also then your own thing. And then as soon as the child is one thing, a little baby, then they then they morph oh, yeah. into a toddler. Yeah. And then they morph into a young primary school. And then they morph into puberty. And all of these these ages, all these stages of their development require completely different approaches yeah. and parenting skills. You know, how much should you interact with them? You know, you know, you know, 
should I smother them or should I give them their space? I don't want them to feel abandoned. You know, like if I give them some space, I don't want them to suddenly think they don't love me anymore and why aren't I getting any assistance? And in their life day to day, that's changing. One week they might want, yeah, they, want to sit on your knee and the next week they don't want to be in the same room as you. It's tough. So you're all trying to cut. They f- don't know what the fuck's going. Like they go to the, you know, they they go to the toilet and walk out a teenager. Yeah. Like Luna just like that's a lot of know, toilet paper. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they just Luna just you know it's, it's sort of like that. They go to bed one child and wake up another one. Well, when you I know. you know I came around your place last week, I think it was, and, and saw Luna. I hadn't seen her for probably six months. So I couldn't. I, just, I my like my jaw dropped open at how much. She'd grown. I mean, obviously, at such a young age, they they change that that quickly. But I, I hadn't seen her for several months, and and I, I just it was like, wow, this is not like a tiny little baby anymore. Now this is a little kid, and turned into a person. Yeah. As soon as she was on her feet, mm. and had just the start of some agency and some control of her uh, her life, she just everything uh, takes off. Then her attitude kicks in. Like I want this and I don't want that, and. Fucking, what are you standing around for? Pass me that. Give me some weight. There's a lot of pointing and yeah, waving her hands. Gender differences. <laughs> and they say oh, cat, yeah. they say that cats have staff. I can tell you, kids have staff too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh god, you're right. I hope you're on a good alley rate, are you? Yeah. <laughs> Just oh god. Yeah. No. Then they are. They, look, there does seem to be the, the traditional differences between boys and girls that people are saying. I mean, she seems to have developed certain stuff sooner than he did. Yeah. I think girls sort of physical wiring is they're more dexterous earlier. What they gain in being smarter, they mm. also gain in being manipulative and evil. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Yeah. This is just a bloke's only listenership. No, she's it? ferocious. <laughs> like, is that, is that, do you think that's a generalisation or, or would you say from the people you've spoken to in your own experiences that there are definite differences between the boys and girls well, when, when they're the, very little? Well, but, but apparently the, there's there's neurological – like the, the, the rate of development's different. Too. Yeah, well, that so we the, know, yeah. So the brain thing, what's being wired and when is different. Um, but, she, yeah, she – the peculiar thing for me about Luna is her um, making choices about things. Where Sammy doesn't like choices, he'd, he'd much rather you just mm. – in fact, it's better not to tell him what – so she started – getting hats and clothing when she turned one. She'd be pointing at things in the cupboard. Mm. <laughs> that's, <laughs> what, that's what I want to and wear. And putting hat, different hats on and different yeah. – j- now, we're not mm. – you know, Sammy, you could put him in a paper bag. He wouldn't give a shit. In fact, he put he wears well, his – Well, that explains <laughs> what he was wearing today. What was he wearing no, today? No, I was just kidding. Uh, no, <laughs> but he, he goes to – this is – he goes to kinder with – A recyclable with, bag, I would hope. He goes to kinder with his pants on backwards – and his jumper inside out. And he does that regularly. He said, and the pants on backwards is really uncomfortable, but he insists on it. So he's got the pockets oh, hanging. Oh, that's a, that's a style decision. So he's decided to do that. That's yeah, but it's not, but it's not, but it's not about, it's just trying to <laughs> no, be but, weird. No, but you <laughs> see, it's <laughs> not a fashion. Which is a style decision. But if you put your pants oh, on backwards, mate, when you put your pants on backwards, that means as you're walking in, you're facing out. Right. So psychologically, oh, he already wants uh, to be leaving. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or keep well, him out of the door like a gangster. <laughs> needs his pants balloon out at the front because that's where his ass is meant to be. And then he's right. got this big bow at the back of it. Like, it's very strange. But L- Luna's like, she mm. she goes and gets her rain jacket, hands it to you and her shoes, and then she you put them on and then she goes to the front door and jangles the handle to leave. Now, I, that's... That all as soon as she was up and walking, like one, we're talking, mm, and mm. she's, she's. That's a, not a. That's not 
obviously not a, a general case like you were asking me for, mm. but it is really, really common yeah, to hear this. Because you can get two different types of kid. Yeah. Totally. Even though the girls might generally be smarter. We got we all got brought up getting told girls are two years smarter than boys. Yes. We, that was just the fact, wasn't two it? Years we were told and t- yeah. Two years and probably a millennia in some cases as well. Well yeah, and, yeah. and and but but it's a wiring thing. Like like that when I saw Bidolf, he was saying the reason boys can't sit still when they're five at school is because they're they're the the parts the the wiring of their brain to their physicality and their and their movement is still happening where it's already been achieved with girls. Yeah. They've they're much more physically dexterous earlier. Like she can feed herself now and and Sammy's I mean, she's arguably better at feeding herself than he is, and he's mm. four and a half. Yeah. So, but that's just, I was led to believe that that's just a neurological and a developmental thing that's a boy-girl thing. When my, I, when my sure son is overpowering my daughter. But, but perhaps it's also to do with independence. I mean, yeah. maybe she she wants to, wants to be able to be independent. Maybe that's, that's something that she values higher yeah. than Sammy does. Know. Well, being second born too, you want to you want to catch up. You want to be in control. So you've you, always you, got that example of yeah. everything. Every uh, stage they're wa- they're watching every stage. Oh yeah, it makes a big difference as well. It's not just a gender thing. Mm. The other fascinating thing is she just loves him no matter what happens. So he can hit her and knock her around. And the the other day I came home and I'd been away f- for the day and and she came down the hall towards me and I went. Hey, and she just walked straight past me and kind of shrugged me off. And then Sam, Sammy gets home and she gives him a big hug and won't let him go. And, you know, she's, but he just, you know, yeah. knocks her over. Yeah. Get out of the way. I said to my boy uh, a few times, I, I've said, I said to him, <laughs> yeah. listen, you, I would, if I were you, I would watch your back <laughs> because <laughs> you are overpowering Clover in the most you know, simplest bullying kind of way. And it's a big, big mistake because within a couple of years, she's going to be smarter than you. (laughs) She could potentially be stronger than you as well. But she will work out a way to hurt you way more than you can hurt her now. I'd I'd make friends with her if I were you. One of the first things she did when she could walk was get up, walk across the room and smack Sammy in the mouth yeah. because she because finally he, I can walk, I can walk exactly. and, I, and I owe you this. <laughs> yeah, whereas he could give her a kick and walk away because she was crawling. Yeah, you know, like yes. yeah. so. Yeah, far out. But far I think out. I think it's definitely there is there's two teams. There's the parental team and then there's the yeah s- the siblings team. The kids seems you know? like it now. Yeah, and um and I guess that's the thing is is that probably even at a very young age the kids are aware that like you know we're team children. And yeah. we need to make sure that we gang together and protect ourselves against te- team parent. Of course, always want to make us do things we don't want to do, like eat the, f- the food we don't want to eat or go to school when we don't want to go to school or go on that drive when I don't want to have to go yeah, to the yeah. shops. So Victims you're all, you're right. the same regime, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so it's, yeah. Like, it's like, well, you know, strength and unity. There's been a couple of times now when where they'll be sort of – because they're now playing together. It used to be just Sammy not wanting to be – like he was jealous of her and he, she was a nuisance. He's now realised that she's a disciple, so they'll you'll be able to hear them in the other room, and then it'll go silent, uh, and I go, 
You go in there and he's fucking indoctrinating her. Yeah. He's in the corner and she's sitting there wide-eyed and he's, he's muttering things to mm. her. Mm. And I'm like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? Are you trying to topple this <laughs> empire from, you know, like. Definitely. Mummy and daddy think that we go. That's you know, right. Yeah, that's they're, right. They're yeah. plotting. They don't know that I know where the chocolates are hidden. <laughs> yeah. This is an illegal gathering. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Clover's always getting sent on those missions. Oh, yeah. yeah go and ask. You, you can sort of, you can sense it. She goes. Dad, is it all right if we – and you go, bring him in. Tom, <laughs> come here. So, Derek, ask how old are your children? Nine and 11. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm. So uh, I, wanted, I wanted to talk to you about – sorry to cut it off. No, you right. But I, I, I really just in this time frame thing because going way back, like focusing on those not, not, not being there all the time yeah. during a certain age, but then – I'm realizing, like I was saying before, that this is going for, this shit's going forever, mm. you know. Mm. And I'm thinking the difference between, uh, like, if your if your guys haven't even brought up what do you, what, you know, when they were teens, why can you say that you're not even here, kind of thing? Yeah, you're in a good position, like as in they haven't got that thing. Well, dad just. Was interested in having interested. kids and well, fucked up. Ni- neither of they them understand you, what position you were in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, but neither of the boys are so antagonistic uh, yeah. by their nature, anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, they will get angry about things, but but they won't. I, I guess the point is, and I'm not sure whether it's as academic as this, but it's like there's not really much point raising something that's not going to make a difference. I mean, yeah. y- you know, I mean, I, I guess I guess we all bring things up with people we, we, we want to like, you know chew the bone about something and, or bring up something that, that's frustrated you, annoyed you, but often to no, to no end. Yeah. I mean, so what? You're going, to, you're going to talk it out. Unless it actually affects some sort of change, what's the point? Um, and I, th- I think with, with, the, with the boys, in, in both cases, I guess it was sort of like, well, this is just the way yeah. it is. Um, and but were you particularly clear about that, though? Maybe, maybe you, one way or another, made it very clear to them that this was not about them being less important that the, the nature of what you do maybe that would yeah. that would that would well make I hope a so I hope so I, look so did you talk to them a bit about it did you kind of say I mean well they understood obviously that you had a job that was pretty that's right and and and, and they would come to set and and there's, there's always that that kind of thing about being on a film set it's kind of like it's not a normal job it's like wow you know yeah so so there's a bit of you know bullshit baffles brains thing going on right, there anyway yeah. they're already kind of a bit enamored with the whole thing of of well, you know, Dad's doing this thing. It's like, and he's not just doing something really unimportant, like saving lives. He's actually out making like a TV <laughs> show that nobody's ever watching. Yeah. And um, so th- they were already conditioned right from the beginning that that's that was the industry that I worked with. Mm. Um, and Dylan's mum also worked in the film industry, which she right. doesn't now, but she did as well. So even though he never experienced her working in the industry because she had retired from it when when he was born. Mm. It was still something very much in the household that was always spoken about as as this is this way of life. Yeah, so right. it's kind of a bit like you know being on the road with a band or something. It's kind of like it's yeah. just it's just a lifestyle choice as well as everything else. I don't know that I I can't recall ever sort of sitting down and having an earnest discussion no. or, or ever sort of saying it didn't need to be said that these children that I love these children they're important to me. I mean that was just known, and I, do, I doubt that at any point, no matter any arguments we might have had about anything, at any point did they ever feel that they weren't loved. Mm. They might have disagreed with me, or they might have been pissed off with what yeah. was going on. But, but one way or another, you they got that from you. It's uh, not a, maybe you don't have to tell. Well, that's it's not yeah. just because sometimes people can say things all the time and it doesn't mean anything. Mm. 
But if you're genuinely, you know, interested in, you know, they pick it up in other ways. Look, I think humans security. humans are probably not as sensitive as a lot of other animals in terms of being able to sense things just within a room. But there's no doubt that even at a very young age, I mean, as part of our survival instinct, at a very young age, you work out what's what's dangerous and what's safe and where mm. your food comes from and where the shelter is. Mm. And I guess that a lot of, especially when you're related by DNA, y- your children, they get, it's going to sense things anyway, I, I guess, without yeah. need, as you say, without needing necessarily put it into words. So they know that. So when they get into the teen years, mm. I'm just trying to pinpoint. Then they forget everything. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the regrets, I'm trying to pinpoint to a tiny little, there's, it feels like a time, tiny little time frame. Mm. One good thing would be the, the timing of the, the breakups because they didn't experience dad leaving. They would have been two or three. Or oh no, like. no. Well, well. In, in Chris's case, Chris was only about a year old when yeah. when we split up, and so, that that was that was in a way much more difficult for me because he was still a baby in nappies, and yeah. and mm. I felt I felt terrible about. But for breaking. him. But Probably for, but for him, he wouldn't. He would never have known me as somebody living in the house. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Dylan was seven when seven, I seven. Okay. Yeah. So that was quite different because he was already going to school and yeah. and our, our relationship, his his mother and my relationship had been sort of going downhill for quite a while. It was from we were both to blame. I mean, I'm sure she'd agree with me if she heard that. No, she wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> no, sorry, I'll take a bit Um But so. He'd already experienced sort of arguing in the house. I mean, not yelling and screaming and throwing things, but just yeah. unhappiness. Yeah. And my nature is very much that I hate conflict. You know, I, I will, I will like saw my own leg off than have an argument with somebody. There's not about many something. blokes who do like conflict, to be honest. No, right. no. But it's not. It's not a fear of it. It's just the point that often the conflict comes from something that's irreconcilable anyway. Yeah. Or even if it's not, it feels like it is. So therefore, it may as well be. If you're not prepared to do something to change something, then it may as well be right. unsolvable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, so, so there was a degree of sort of unhappiness and bitterness, and and at the at the time with, with Dylan when he was a young boy, the film industry had um, was in a real downturn. So I was really struggling for work. Um, so there's a huge amount of pressure, and at the same time, Dylan's mum had reti- had not retired had had stopped working because she was raising a child, and she mm. went. At that point, she decided to go to university and study psychology, which is something she'd always wanted to do. Mm. So she was a full-time student. So I, when I wasn't working, I was the full-time dad. So I basically spent a lot of time at home with Dylan doing the going to school and, and that whole thing for the, for the first seven years. Um, but then I had to go and find alternative work, which was something I really didn't, didn't want, to, want to do. Like a proper job? A proper job, yeah, which actually involved like, you know, hard work and getting dirty and oh. cut hands and things, doing gardening work for a while. So I was incredibly resentful because I sort of felt like nobody understood how difficult it was that the film yeah. industry had collapsed and the thing that I was passionate about wasn't yeah. servicing my needs anymore and I was addicted to this thing. I, w- I needed my filming hit. Yeah. So I was miserable about that. Uh, you know, I was at a point in my career where, like, if this goes on too much longer, it's gonna, it's, I'm going to be too old, it's all going to be over, I'll have missed the boat entirely. Um. And I'm needing to go out and work just to to pay for the groceries and so forth while mum is not working and studying studying something that, you know, was of course important and ended up leading to a career for her. But at the time it was like, why aren't you contributing? So 
it, that was all me. That was just me being really bitter and angry about the world at that yeah. stage. Mm. Um, and so that what so that I wasn't great to be around. And so all those things mattered to the point where it just it felt like nothing was ever going to change. And retrospectively, I think if we'd if we'd got through that part of our relationship and my work had picked up and she'd finished the uni degree and she'd gone out, I still think our, our marriage would have failed because there was yeah. still, still too many diff- points of difference about things. Mm. And also because I, <clears throat> I, although I've been very much the same sort of person most of my life, I also cha- I've also had quite big swings about my sort of feelings about certain things. So if that hasn't been synchronous with my partner, poor them. You know, like you know, suddenly, like blue is the greatest color. Red is now the greatest color. It's like, well, hang on. I thought we liked blue. Like, no, no, we like red. And so I've sort of, I've sort of changed, changed my aspect about things, like worldly things, in, in quite a long way, and made some big shifts. I mean, I some of the things that I used to condone and and think were okay now, I would be so critical of my younger self for having those beliefs. Right. And so if that's fairly common, I think it is common. Well, I, yeah. I just I was just. I think I was quite immature for a long time yeah. and it took me a long time to actually lift my head up from my own selfish world and look at what was happening out there in the world and go, you know, climate change and all these things and all the things that are related to that and, and, mm. and how as humans on earth we need to be better and how we need to be better animals among all the other animals. And I was starting to get so, and still am, so frustrated and get so so intolerant of so many of the things that people do um, that it it forced me to actually face up to myself and become a person that I really always knew I should be in terms of my own values and ethics. Mm. And I run into people now who haven't, hadn't seen me for years and, and go, oh, wow, now you're one of those hippie, wanker, vegetarian, animal-loving people. It's like I think I was, 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 but it just wasn't convenient for me to do it at the time, <laughs> you know, or I, was, you know, I really you know liked that feeling. steak. Yeah. <laughs> I liked that steak far too much to really actually care about the cow. Now I go, you know what, I'd rather see a happy cow than eat the steak. Yeah. And I think that only came – with a degree, with being on earth long enough to realise it and just seeing enough misery and everything else and suffering that go on to the point where you just can't ignore it anymore. So I changed a lot and that's not an easy thing for somebody that that, come, that marries you as a type oh, yeah. A person and then now they're married to a type B person and well, this you've got to be married to change. You've got to be married, you know, you've got to be married and accept what they're going to be, especially in your twenties. Yeah, is your, that's your, right. Your twenties. Oh, look, I'm a terrible. Uh, the first one. Really, I'm a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, yeah. Um, the, they're ready to be taunted, though. They'll go, oh, you know, like they can taunt you, but they, they have to accept a change unless it's. Well, and it depends what the relationship's right founded wing. on. <laughs> what, what it's founded on, too. Like, like I feel like Missy and I have, have got a great advantage that I haven't had as much of in the past is that we both met at a time when we were going through big change mm. in our kind of approach to the world. And so we met and bonded over sharing that. Like I was talking about why I was in Broome and what I needed to change, like like getting sober, going on that journey. She was trying to uh, see her her work and creative life differently and mm. and. and, and change her priorities and and because we met on that it means that there's more flexibility with other stuff because like you said Derek about you, if you're expecting change yep. then change is not going to be so hard I, so far so good and, and, and I guess you'd both also yeah. lived enough of your lives at that point to sort of had the idealistic idea of what the way things were going to be and experimented with that yeah. and then thought okay well 
now I need to get real or now or now I can identify what I feel is missing in my life too. Yeah. You know? Well, like you said, and you can't, you can't, the problem with, uh, it took you to get to a certain age to get to certain understandings and everyone's on a different mm. journey with stuff and a, and a, and a, and you can't force it. You can't make your younger self be. No. You, you, you sort of have to take the journey. You have to get there your own way. Because as soon as people do something because they feel like they should, rather than because they've arrived at it f through their own experience, it yeah. doesn't last. It and, doesn't. Or it's but, hollow or it's. But let's be honest. But it's hard. We we, there are a lot of things that we do need to do as social animals to get along with the other animals that does require us to do things we don't necessarily want to do because it's no, the right I thing know, to but, do. I know, but how do you, but I just mean, let's say for climate change, for example, which we're passionate about and and, and something obviously has to be done. But the, the contradiction we have is that people, Anything really important like that, you have to find your own way to it. We don't, but we don't have the time to do that. We don't. No. We can't allow people to. So we're having to kind of force people to make changes that then they push back against. Mm. So this is where I think a lot of this pushing against our own self interest comes from is just because they're being people don't like being told, even if it's a survival thing. It's like people will vote for Trump knowing that he's going to destroy their. Uh, certain aspects of their life just because they don't like the people who are telling them that they should behave a certain way. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me, yeah. so I'll vote for a guy who's going to destroy me and you. Like, it's crazy, but we need to take that into account in terms of how humans operate. And that's the biggest challenge with climate change I see is that everyone needs to come to it themselves, but we don't have the luxury of that that's anymore. Right. Yeah. They're not all going to do it the way well, you I'm, have. I'm, I'm fucking hard. severely man. inadequate and authorised to make political comments because I just don't have that education. But one of the things that constantly frustrates me is every time there's a discussion about anything related to major changes as humans on earth we need to do to mm. preserve what we can possibly still salvage, mm. the first thing the politicians talk about is the economic result. Yeah, of it. yeah. And it's like, like oh, we need to go ahead with the Adani mine because 11 people will get jobs for two years. It's mm. like, yeah, but then we're all going to be dead anyway. So I what? Do, it seems such – I can only assume that I'm naive and there's so much stuff I don't understand that people who are much smarter than me do understand. But it just seems to be so ridiculously short-sighted. And, and none of us – you know, we're you – know, we're sort of – living in a wonderful world. You know, we're lucky to live in Australia and have all the things we've got and have all the choices and live, like by comparison to a lot of people in the world, absolutely fantastic, fortunate lives. And and but we're not prepared to really concede any of those things, that, even though we know we should. Like, you know, okay, I'm prepared to completely give up whatever it is because I know that my tiny little 0.001% of the thing might make a tiny little difference to one part of Victoria. I think it's just human nature to go, what difference does it really make if I do this? Because everybody else is still going to keep on using plastic bags anyway. And so what if, you know, if, if one tortoise dies? Who cares? There's heaps of tortoises, aren't there? But, the, the, but the, the, this is the fact where democracy fails on a, in some ways too, is that when you've got a four-year election thing or three, like if politicians can't think in the long term, because if they're not in at the next election – then they can't do anything. No. This is a big flaw with the, our de I know, democratic system. It, so isn't the, that so obvious? The alternative is to have a, a, a dictatorship, a benevolent dictatorship. The problem with that is you can't make a 
it's luck that you get. But, but as, as long as they're trying to get in, it's next not election, luck because only a fun. super asshole will manage to climb to the top of the right, ru- yeah. the rush to become the dictator. But I can see the why good guys don't win. Like I said yesterday, you don't you don't send a well um, a well uh, spiced and flavored naked Christian in to fight lions in the, right, in the, right. in the Colosseum. You've got to have you got to have a prick that has your beliefs yeah. but is also a prick, i.e. politician. But I can see why when you go to sell a house, suddenly you want when you go to sell a house, suddenly you want real estate agents to be asshole. the absolute <laughs> yeah, asshole yeah, lying pricks that yeah. they are. Yeah, so yeah. human nature comes in and overrides that's, that's a perfect the, analogy. the beliefs it, it, you want to have. Yeah, I mean, having, having bought and sold a couple of houses, it is, it's exactly the perfect. It's yeah. like the real estate that you want to – the real estate agent that you want to sell your house is not the real estate agent you want to deal with when you want to buy a house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean – But you can see why I should say – Because they lie on behalf of you and you – just pretend that's not happening. When she's well, in- hang on. Real estate agents lie. <laughs> well, I'm just guessing. When the when the Chinese <laughs> pro- president Xi Jinping or whatever his name is, is that his name? Is he, <laughs> the, is he a president or a prime minister? He's a president. Anyway, the Chinese leader decided he wanted to have no limit to their terms so that he could be the leader for the term of his natural life. Mm. At first, we in democracies like ours go, that's outrageous, that's a dictatorship. But then on the other hand, you go, well, but the only way he's going to get anything done. I mean, look at how we are stuck in Australia by these limits that... With our 18-month term for Prime Ministers. It is suicide. Yeah. (laughs) It's suicidal. Have a look at England. It doesn't go with climate change. Climate change and short-term electoral cycles don't Mm. work. And But so... Hopefully, at least with the Chinese leadership, they want he's fairly environmentally interested, at least in pollution and stuff like that, and climate change because they're it's their century coming. But that's that's the I can see why he wants to have that. Ah, yep. oh, fuck, I don't know. I don't what, know what it. Where people... does where does your nineteen year old stand and all? Does he talk about this sort of stuff? Like, do they are they freaking out? Going, yeah, you pricks, you killed my world. What do we world. talk to the kids about with this stuff? Yeah. It's obviously an issue of, of real concern for the kids. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, Dylan, my nineteen-year-old, we don't sort of, we don't avoid the conversation. But it's not not the first thing we talk about. But mm. but any time these these sort of things do come up in conversation, um, there's obviously a lot of anger mm. that that you know the fifty, sixty, seventy-year-olds that have presumably not totally responsible got into this situation, but certainly not been doing enough to help. Um, have now positioned the world in in such a way that the the future is looking bleak, and it's like, but like I've I've stood in this queue now. I've I've popped out, and it's my turn on Earth, and you guys yeah. have fucked it up. You know, I've arrived, yeah. and you've eaten all the ice cream, and all that's left yeah. is one broken cone in the shop, right? And that's what that's what you're leaving at me. So there's there's a lot of anger, and it is going to take the youth, I think, you know, to actually do anything because. The youth talking to the to the to the you know the sixty year old seventy year old politicians is not making anything because they're not going to listen to it. But when they become their own government and they end up being in power and they're moving as as a as mm. a, a unity together, if it's not too late, that's about the only time anything's going to change. I see a time in in about twenty, thirty, forty years. I I, I had an idea for a play and it's just the, the title. 
the Nuremberg climate trials, where where those the Greta Thunbergs or, yeah. or whatever you pronounce it of, yeah. of are actually putting people on trial and executing them for for what they've done, and and I I don't feel like that's a crazy thing to say, and I, and I look at these people, commentators, and older people who look at her outraged and angry uh, statement at the UN and say, oh, she's the poor girl, so they've upset her. Like people have got to start helping. She's mentally ill, and and they're um, she's scaring all the children. And you're like, fuck, you've got to start listening to this girl. Yeah. Because, and the kids, she's not scaring them. The kids are, are scared. That's why. So you've got 50 year old television commentators mm. receiving it entirely the wrong way. Like, dude, she's not making them scared. But, but they it's, are just a scared. Shame, it's a shame that the media is just, just focused in on one particular event. That's where, how they roll. Yeah. Because they're assholes. Because, well, it's a great soundbite and everything else. But, yeah. but you know, whether or not she she speaks for her generation, which probably undoubtedly she does, and most would would agree with what she says, mm. the point of the matter is that even though it's only one person saying this, this is is the general popular voice anyway. So mm. w- when you have the naysayers saying, "Oh, she's just a you know silly little girl, doesn't know what she's talking about," she, talking about she'll go back to school, they're not really talking to her. They're not talking to Greta. They're talking to that entire generation of damaging their relationship. Who all feel the same? Yeah. Apart from anything that's dangerous, because they're going to fucking come for us. Yeah. I'm telling you, they're going to come yeah. for us. Maybe not you and I, but for our generation, they're going to come for us. Yeah. And and, and then I we don't want to be. And we're all going to be on that last little bit of Everest, the only bit of land still above the sea. Yeah. All 97 billion of the humans yeah. are fighting one another over whose fault it was. No, it's we, we've they've got to start listening to them. I don't know what, yeah, man. I don't know. It's just how it is. You protect your own thing. Uh, maybe it's like parenting, when you finally get into politics, like the the people that protested Vietnam War and then got into politics, mm. and then they have to start backing down. When I think about um, everything that, um, yeah, yeah, Peter Garrett did it was awesome, awesome, awesome. Legend, legend, legend. And then he gets into the real system, into the Labor Party, mm. and just had to face this. I don't really felt for him there. Have, oh, you yeah, know, just, so just had, had to face the realities of the the sickening realities of and politics of and how it works. It's not doing good. There's no time. There's hardly any time for doing good things. And he came in with There's Rudd. fighting people doing bad. But well, there's, there's some luck there too. He happened to come in under Rudd, and, yeah. and Rudd was Rudd. And was making it difficult too. He's like, what scapegoat? Oh, this whole uh, insulation thing finished him off. Yeah, yeah Ga- Garrett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, right, you know, didn't finish him off. Finished him off in. But how devastating politics. is that? Look, the whole thing's unbelievably complicated, and I don't think I think it's very foolish to think anyone's simply just crazy or a dickhead or not trying. I think they all believe they're doing the even Trump. They're, they're trying to do something, and they they believe what they're the doing. The playing field is just ridiculous and un. It's unusable. The playing field for politics well, is now unusable. That's what we're saying. Unusable. It can't be, and it's things like yeah. climate change that are bipartisan and big enough that we can't do that short-sighted thing. But I don't know what the alternative is. Like I said, what is it? Dictatorship? You know, benevolent dictatorship? How do you make that happen? Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to see where all this is going to go. Well, let's leave those thoughts for our audience to mm. uh, send us messages on the social media and uh, let us know how they feel. I want to know about any multi. I want to know about intergenerational bickering and fighting and blaming because I don't remember it when I was a kid. I remember grown-ups were all shit, but then you were one, and that was it. 
See, right? Uh, but now it seems that millennials are fighting back now. I've noticed they're fighting back going, hey, stop picking on millennials. You stuffed the world. Piss off. You, you, or you sat by while your dad stuffed the world. And it goes on and on, all this blaming and But that's because they're seeing the, conversation. the effects of it. We were scared of yeah. nuclear attack, but there were, none of that ever materialised. Whereas for them, climate change is starting to show up. They're starting to well, see the it. The fearful thing, the scary thing about about this situation is that it's nothing that can now be controlled by humans. I mean, the nuclear thing was a button, you know, mm. if anybody's going to press a button or not, yeah. it was a different matter. But and if it didn't happen, we, we, we can't, we, we, we can't get to the end of yeah. this conversation and go, actually, look, let's just stop climate change. Yeah, yeah. Let's just, that was a bad yeah. idea. Uh, let's just turn it off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not up to us anymore. This is a natural thing that is just ga- ga- gaining momentum and, Depending on who you talk to, possibly too late to turn back. Yep. Well, so, the te- technology actually might be the only thing now that can, because because you have to extract carbon yeah. as much as so. But yeah, but look, also just but, I mean you know we've we've created a world you know based on largely on democracies where where every little parcel of land has been claimed by somebody they've stuck their flag and said okay this is my bit that's your bit and they're all trying to make their own economy work and their own social structure work and everything. Whereas, whereas the globe is the globe and we're all human yeah, beings yeah, on a planet. Yeah, yeah. And as long as we're all trying to find our own little fights and, and, and try and make our own little puzzles work, mm. I think probably it'll it'll just turn into some Armageddon where, where like eventually all the politics and everything will break down. E- economy will be completely pointless because all it'll be is a struggle for food, shelter and water. Well, that's the popular... And then we'll just all have to just come together on our little rafts right. <laughs> and... Um, and and then fight fight against that. We'll come together. This whole thing will come unravelled for sure. Yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, we'll be right. <laughs> <laughs> so what you didn't explain before I came in here? This is actually just therapy for you two guys. Yeah, yeah. you worked it out. And I'm, just, working it out. I'm, I'm just kind of like 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 the moder- be, the moderator. You're going to be charged two hundred dollars an hour for this therapy because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're getting it. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. we we rarely talk about these kind of big. Sort of. Oh, so it wasn't my fault. You, you, I started all this. Yeah. but no, but it's good because this is part of the whole thing, and and it's stuff I think about all the time with my kids. About, uh, I mean, this is part of our move out of town a bit too. I, I really want to teach them some of the stuff that, first of all, that AI can't get, mm. like all the interpersonal stuff and the, the 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 all the things that we have that because we're particularly human are the only things that are going to. Um, not be uh, threatened by AI at some point in the future. And they're all the things that we're losing the ability to do through social media and all that sort of stuff, all the all the, the connectivity. Um, mm. So I don't know, there's, there's so much great things happening and understanding happen simultaneously with this, with this kind of disintegration. It just shows you that nothing, everything's got its shadow side. Like we're technologically, people are being pulled out of poverty globally, and we're 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 succeeding on so many levels that simultaneously it seems so ironic. Mm. Anyway, well, any chance just right. before we go, my very last question: any 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 sign of any grandchildren or anything like that? Ah, oh, well, yeah. uh, no, you're in the zone. I am in the zone. I am in the zone, and Chris has been with his lovely partner Aaron for several years, and. Um, I know they're quite keen to have a child, um, but Erin unfortunately suffers with multiple cirrhosis. Um, and although she 
seems quite healthy with it. it. It is something that is quite difficult for them in terms of especially her being able to continue a lot of work, which yep. means that financially it's difficult for them to, you know, yeah. they're, they're living in a shared house arrangement. They really want to get their own place. Yep. And Chris quite obstinately and Erin as well sort of say, look, until we get our place, we're not going to start a family. Yes, but I know, yeah. I know that I know that they they will be wonderful, amazing parents. Yeah. And and you know, you know, around about that thirty year old mark now, that sort of like they want to be mm. thinking about it sort of soonish. Um, but they, they they just want to they want to improve their situation, yeah. their, their own sort of setup. You know, they they've got their dogs that they love, and they want to have a you know, they, they want the Australian dream. They want the little the, the the house with a backyard or something where they can have the dogs. Because I, th- I think at the moment they feel like they're couch surfing too much to be able to start a family. It's pretty par for the course to kind of go, all right. And, and well, part of it you think is just you know, putting off that scary part of your journey. You know, a few, a few have, have, have sort of said, well, maybe you, you just have to realise that this is the way the world is and, and if you keep on putting it off, you don't want to turn around you know, in some years to come and say, actually, maybe I should have got going and just you know, got, got the family underway and then yeah. worried about everything later rather than trying – Chris, Chris's nature is very much that he wants to get everything in order. Yeah, you know? yeah. Okay, so when this is right, then I'll do the next bit. Yeah. So look, um, it, it, I, I would say probably the next couple of years, hopefully I'll, I will be a grandfather. Well, I, <laughs> I have said. <laughs> what about the other one though? I'll, I'll, knowing Dylan, he'll <laughs> <laughs> probably already am. Um, no, um, who knows? Who yeah. knows? He, he, Dylan's also in a relationship with a girl he's been going out with for about a year now, and they seem to be getting along fine. But um, you know, I mean the. She's she's just finishing her VC. She's a year younger than him, so I mean, they're I'd yeah, be surprised if, if they have any of those sort of. I mean, they've got travel and all that sort of stuff ahead of them still. First, you still see him as a kid. When does that change? Uh probably a few months ago. Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, when when he finished his VCE and he started doing uni, so he's he's very Dylan's a very sporty kid. He's yep. kind of very athletic, and um, so he's studying sports science and education in Burwood out at. Um, um, not Monash, what's the one? Rusden? No, um, Deacon, to, a Deacon. Used to be called Rusden, Yeah, sure. mate, brain fade from over there. He's out at Deacon studying that and um, and now he's driving a car and so like, you know, he you know he drives to Union, he drops around to my place to grab some lunch sometimes, usually when he's run out of money and wants me to buy him a hamburger. And um, so suddenly, so that's when I started seeing him as an adult, when yeah. it's the independence, it's when sudden, it's when they don't rely on you and, and that, and the funny thing is, is that I actually see probably more of Dylan now that he's sort of out on his own than I did when he was supposedly under my umbrella as a VC because he was studying so hard. I hardly, hardly yeah. he was just knuckling down. I, had, I hardly saw him at all, you know, when he was 18. Um, so I, th- I think that's the point where I felt like they're grown up, you know, when, when, they, when they, they have their own money and their own bank accounts and they can drive themselves around and, you know, I, th- I think that was probably the defining, defining point, independence yeah. like that. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. Well, we better wind it up because we're nearly out of tape. Oh, excellent. <laughs> is that why that, that quarter-inch reel-to-reel is just flapping in the corner there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The old 8-track. Thank you, Eric, so My much pleasure. for coming yeah, in. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I enjoyed it. It got, that got very uh, intense there for a few minutes. Yes. So we, we, oh, yeah. we, we have fixed the world now. Oh, Everything's God. right. I think Everything's everything right. should be right. Once this is released, uh, things should start uh, healing in the world. Yes, no doubt. Yeah. say, once the listenership... No, we just got to teach our kids to have good, good ethics and good, you know, that's all we can do now, gents. We yes. can try to give them some kind of hope for the future. Well, that sounds a bit like like mm. it's a last resort, like like it's all over, done and dusted, and we've lost. <laughs> yeah, talk about that. But. Well, we we well, we we've passed on our 
Gen- genetics. That's yep. all we've. That's that's. Don't it. start it again, Daniel. <laughs> that was the wind up. He's off again. He's off again. Ladies all and gentlemen, right. thank you for Good watching, night, folks. <laughs>